Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, we feature David Hodgins, the founder and CEO of Sustento Group and executive director of the Los Angeles Better Buildings Challenge. With more than a decade of experience in project development, program delivery, and policy implementation, David is a recognized leader in the sustainable real estate field. He began his career with the Clinton Climate Initiative, where he led private sector project development for three years. Building on the perspective he gained through that work, he founded sustainability services company, Sustento Group in 2011, which serves as program manager for the Los Angeles Better Buildings Challenge. David has contributed to the development of a range of industry standards and resources, including the Department of Energy's Asset Score Audit Template and the BOMA Energy Performance Contracting Toolkit. We really enjoyed our time with David. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Jessa. And I'm Laurel, and today's guest is David Hodgins with Sustento Group. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's 11-11-22. You launched your business in 2011. The stars are aligning. 22 years ago, you launched this business. <laughs> um, uh, that said, let's start as we always do. How wait, are you 12 connected? years ago. 11, 12? wait. Wait, 11, 10, 11, oh, 11 years mathematicians ago. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are not hired to be mathematicians. We are podcast producers. <laughs> um, but with that, yeah, uh, this is fun. Tell us about how you are or are not connected to AEP. <laughs> well, well, we're not members. I've been aware of, of AEP's work and, you know, my background is, is in development, but um my career has focused on existing buildings and uh, retrofitting existing buildings to save energy, save water, incorporate more uh, renewable energy. And so, um, you know, I have not been as directly involved with AAP, but I appreciate you having me anyway. Yes. And hopefully you will get more involved. (laughs) Yeah. We want to extend our reach, broaden our reach. Uh, Like me, for example, I'm a developer. I uh, am in the renewable energy and energy storage space. So there are developers that are members of AP and there are lead certified folks that are members of AP. And so I'm so glad that we can use this platform to engage. We've been really excited to have somebody come and talk about all the things that you do. But let's start with how did you um, like why a career in this in this field? How did you start? Yeah, I think it was always there. I mean, I, um, I grew up in San Diego, you know, going to the beach, going to the zoo, going to SeaWorld, you know, my dad is a big waterman, um, you know, scuba diver. And, um, so I always had, you know, a real connection to nature, but, you know, growing up in the eighties, you know, watching captain planet, like I kind of took it for granted, I think, you know, and, and I, when I grew up, I wanted to swim with the orcas, you know, be one of the guys, you know, surfing on Shamu and and maybe be a marine biologist and just share the love, right? Um, then, you know, got into school, uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, my dad was pretty clear that I would study business uh, or he would disown me. So I did. Uh, got out of school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, felt uh, a little bit like a fraud. <laughs> um, and all the cool kids were going into commercial real estate. So I thought, oh, try that. 
And um, that was in 2002, which was a very tough time. I don't know if you remember, followed that to, to be trying to get into commercial real estate. Um, so I took on a few jobs, you know, waiting tables, working in hotels and ended up moving to Colorado. It was supposed to be just for a winter, you know, I'm going to go snowboard, have fun, and then try again. Um, and I ended up completely falling in love with the place and really, you know, saw this, this is nature. You know, I thought, I, I thought I knew, <laughs> um, but, but this is nature. This is what, uh, and this needs to be here. This needs to be here forever. And I need to do whatever I can to protect that. Um, and I didn't let go of the real estate thing, ended up getting a job working for a developer out here who was doing low impact development. It was called at the time, um, since before green was a thing. And so that opened up my eyes a little further to see that, oh, you know, you can do development for good. Right. And, um, then, uh, I was living in Aspen at the time. It's a small town and, um, was sitting on a good GMAT score and, uh, decided to go back to school. Um, so I came back to LA, I uh, went to USC to do my MBA and a master's in real estate development. But I knew at that point that I wanted to be in green buildings. And this was when LEED was very new. I helped get, you know, Rick Fadrizi to USC talking about green buildings. I ended up leading the, the first um, USC Alumni Association event focused on sustainability, which I started out terrified of public speaking. And then I was up in front of 400 people. Um, and... I got a chance to, well, I thought I would go in-house for one of the big, uh, big four property management companies or a developer. And that was my, that was my idea. And, you know, every time I raised my hand in class, I was like, oh, what's, you know, Hodgins going to say, they already knew. Um, and uh, got my lead AP, you know, way back then. And um, then as I was preparing to graduate, I got an email. Um, and it was an opportunity for a fellowship with the Clinton Climate Initiative. And I had seen President Clinton keynote at Greenbuild in, I think it was 2007, talking about this idea of retrofitting buildings and using those energy savings to essentially fund the work, right? So like mining this new resource and and it it just... I became obsessed and thinking about, you know, where could I have an impact? Um, it shifted from new construction to existing buildings because 90 plus percent, depending on, you know, whose figures you you follow or what market you're looking at of, of the buildings that will be here in the relevant time frame for us to do anything about all this are here now. Um, so I got the fellowship. Um, there's a pattern, you know, one year turned into four. Um, I got to to travel a lot, uh, work internationally, work in lots of different cities in the U.S. And um, then in 2011, 2010 timeframe, the last big infusion of federal dollars came into the space, the, the Reinvestment and Recovery Act. So um, I had, through my work at CCI, developed really good relationship with then Mayor Villaraigosa's office. And so 
uh, when they got this big chunk of money, they brought me in and my colleagues in to say, uh, how can we use this strategically? How can we, you know, build programs instead of, you know, projects? And so that was a super amazing opportunity to take everything that I had been learning, you know, out of a fire hose for, for four years at, at CCI and go from kind of project and portfolio level work to city scale programs. Um, and I was fortunate to be, you know, offered an opportunity towards the end of those grants to, to come on as a consultant and basically bring together three programs that I had designed with the Recovery Act uh, and roll that into what became the LA Better Buildings Challenge. And um, the Better Buildings Challenge was brand new at that point and um, didn't look back. You know, it was uh, it was just me um, to start out. Uh, now we're up to 12 people and it's been a decade that I've been doing this work, essentially getting, you know, paid to experiment and fail and experiment and fail and experiment and fail um and succeed you know uh but but to try things and to work kind of at this edge between public and private sectors so i'm i'm funded by the utility to work with commercial real estate and work with multifamily real estate so um it's been a a really interesting and and fun path, right? I, I kind of yeah. made it my job, essentially, and um, just kind of kept identifying opportunities and ways forward and partnerships and putting, you know, resources together to keep it, keep it moving, even when my funders and clients uh, maybe weren't ready. So we've been through a few different um, mayoral, you know, transitions. We're going through another one now, mm-hmm. um, as you may know. And um, so it's been a, uh, it's been a great ride. Yeah. I mean, th- I hope this story inspires a lot of our listeners who many are students and young. And I've I've talked to a lot of them where they feel like they're going to school and, you know, they got to get their MBA because it's pra- or they got to get their business degree because it's practical. Um, but, you know, kids these days, they do want to study environmental work and they want to get a profession in the industry. And what's reaching, what's jumping out from your story to me is this entrepreneurial kind of industrious attitude that you've had where there's grant funding, there's a problem, here's a project. I'm going to do this. I'm going to spearhead this. We're going to collaborate, create partnerships. And out of that work, you know, you've been able to launch a business because they, they saw your expertise. They saw your enthusiasm. You had great ideas. You were putting programs together. That's how you can self-fund is, grants really <laughs> like when the money is put out there and you have an idea bring partners together create create this project or program and then do that that's how um i got some of my early jobs too um and i just want to encourage people that are listening like even if there's not a salary description you know like a salary job posting on linkedin that says we need this thing like you can create a job for yourself if you're creative enough. And I, I believe our future is. And and that said, like, why um why sustento? What does that mean? And what's your business culture and your values and and all that? I know that you mentioned Aspen and how you're like, I gotta save this. Uh, mm-hmm. but but let's talk about the business a little bit. 
Yeah, well, the name, um, and I applaud you for pronouncing it correctly. Uh, it's not one that rolls off the the tongue always for everybody, uh, but that's you know my eighth grade Latin um, coming into play, and and also my dad, you know, is a big um, reader of the Stoics, right? And and so sustento is Latin for to sustain. I sustain, and so. Um, so that's where that comes from. And I said group, even though it was just me <laughs> at the time, because, you know, I envisioned that it would grow. Um, not that I necessarily wanted to be, you know, a boss or an employer. Um, I do, I'm not great at, at administrative things. And a lot of the, the parts that come with running a business, I've had to do it, um, but that it would be this network. And that's, and that's what it's evolved into. Um, in addition to growing our, our staff. Um, so, so that's, uh, the origin of the name. I forgot the second part of the question. Like your mission and core values yes, and yes. the culture. So our tagline is that we, we empower market leaders to decarbonize the built environment. Um, and, you know, we do have, um, within that, you know, core values. And a lot of that's about, you know, fit, right? Mission fit. I mean, this is um, a lot of like blue ocean work that we do. And I'm I'm not a big fan of just selling people what they want. And maybe that's not a great uh, business model, but it's the one that I uh, have and seem to be stuck with. Um, so I like to be out and developing new things. Like you said, um, where, where do I see the inefficiencies? Where do I see uh, the disconnects and where, if there was a catalyst to bring that together? And, you know, I, I joke that we're uh, so, you know, that, that we're multilingual, right? We we speak real estate, we speak policy, we speak technology, we speak, um, you know, we speak environmental. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's people that are comfortable um, in that kind of blue ocean space that that see the connections between things. Um, and, you know, I give my people a lot of freedom, you know, within that to create and to suggest. And so we take, you know, ideas from anyone on the team and, and we'd never keep doing something just because we've been doing it that way. And I drive some people crazy and they don't all stay. Um, but I'm really fortunate, you know, to have a, a core team that stayed with me for, uh, you know, double digit years at this point, a lot of them. And um, so it's that, uh, that creativity, um, we, we call ourselves like hippies in suits, right? Mm -hmm. So we, uh, we are presenting, right, working within uh, the sort of economic, you know, social model that we all are kind of born into, but, but we're trying to change it. Um, we're trying to change it from within. And so uh, those are the kinds of people that, you know, I enjoy working with and um, that I think enjoy working with me. And it's obviously an attractive um, culture because I was looking at some of your highlight projects and one is the LA existing buildings, energy and water efficiency ordinance. And a lot of our members, we do, this is what we do. We write long range plans. We write zoning codes, ordinances that are related to reducing environmental impacts from the start instead of waiting until 
you know, your CEQA analysis is complete. And then you're like, oh, I have all these impacts. It's like just reduce the impacts at the start. And I worked for the County of San Diego when the green, when their green building ordinance was like top of the line and all new buildings needed to be lead platinum and, and all that. So tell us about this LA ordinance. Why is it different? Why is it unique? Why was it meaningful for you? Why is it a showcase for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I started doing this work before there was right any kind of policy driver um you know there was some awareness and and la and the private sector in la got to give give a lot of credit you know la has been the number one energy star city ever since epa started tracking that um that said you know i was out there developing projects and showing people you know implementable i thought very compelling opportunities in their buildings and a lot of it was not getting done right and uh folks are are busy um the stuff is not super simple and um so how does it you know rise to the to the level of priority that it actually gets the attention and it gets the resources and so um i thought the policy piece was really what was missing i had worked a lot on on finance models and business models and innovating all of these things and why why aren't people getting it you know i'm a very like logical you know person and if i could just explain it won't everybody see well turns out you know it doesn't work that way and it can you know even in our relationships right um so so the policy piece was really important and that's maybe another example of like i don't know my kind of personal approach um a lot of cities you know face some of the same issues right they're they're resource constrained the stuff is complicated um so so how to do it and so um well dave i just i want to pop in there because we've said complicated i think two times and i saw it on your website that like these things are complicated and i just want to reiterate like it's really hard to have these conversations and put things in a business case when it's so complicated Mm -hmm. And in interconnected and interrelated um, ideas and strategies, and if and if you change one thing, it has cascading ramifications for for all these other things. And before you move on, how do you communicate um, complexity in a simple way so that something like an ordinance like this can get passed? Like, what's your communication strategy in trying to simplify something that is very complicated? Yeah. I mean, I, I struggle with this all the time. I think a lot about communication, um, but I think that a lot of it comes down to standards and, and trust, right? Branding. Um, we, we don't analyze every single decision to death the way that we do building retrofits, right? Um, there, because, uh, for example, if you're going to buy a building, right, you hire an environmental firm to do an environmental review. Um, you would hire an appraiser to come up with opinions of value and, and there are standards that are followed. And so the investors look to those reports and say, okay, I, I get it. And we can then transact. Uh, we need and are starting to have, and these policies help to put in place similar standards for these types of projects so that you don't have to become an expert in every single facet of this, you know, to be able to move forward. So, um, so I think that's, you know, a really 
important like theme. Um, and then, you know, how to, how to make it simple is that I try to adjust the message to who I'm talking to, you know, speak to the listening. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to kind of get to the outcome um, that aren't necessarily the front door, just this rational, you know, sort of this and that. Um, there are a lot of reasons to do this work, right? There are a lot of reasons to do this work. And um, and so part of it gets to say, um, you know, that that this is intuitively there, right? There are, there are standards there. Um, and, and then putting it into the language that, that resonates for those folks, but it's, it's a challenge. We're building a new website right now, which is, uh, a resource hub. We're calling it retrofit LA. So it's a new, uh, rebrand of our, the website that it sounds like you saw, which is our resource center for all the 12,000 or so buildings that are covered by LA's ordinance. Um, and that is the, that is the task. That is the task is to make this simple. And part of it is, um, creating tools. Like for example, LA's ordinance, um, it's like an LSAT logic test, trying to figure out how this applies to your building. What should I do by when, who, and all of that. So we just launched a tool that was a kind of a brainchild of mine that it's really gratifying to see it out there. Now I would call it the navigator. And it is a decision tool like TurboTax for ordinance compliance. <laughs> and so you can, uh, it reduces complexity on all sides. It reduces complexity for the utility. It re reduces complexity for the city. It reduces complexity for the owner because we basically hard coded what the ordinance says into like English, normal language. Um, and phrase the questions in a way that somebody can go through it and just answer them off the top of their heads. And it recommends a compliance path and runs calculations internal to it and stuff. And then gives you a customized little plan for your building links directly to the incentive programs. Um, and then we follow up and that's all automated. And so for, you know, the 70% or so of the buildings that, are covered by this ordinance that qualify for like free programs that will come and do your lighting, do an HVAC tune-up, do a lot of cool, you know, water efficiency measures. They can get connected directly to those programs, understand how that fits by when they need to do it. And we don't have to train anyone on how to guide them through those conversations because it's all hard-coded into this self-driven software tool. For example, I love this. Oh my gosh. There's, I have so many questions and comments, but this <laughs> navigator sounds amazing. And I, I love when people can take something and I mean, scientists and environmentalists, I think are really good at this typically is taking something very complex and simplifying it. And so I, you know, reacting to what you just said with this navigator is how will people find out about it? Like that this tool is available. Yeah. Um, well, we have we work very closely with the Department of Building and Safety, who are the the enforcers right of the ordinance. And then you've got to go at least three or four different places um, to get through this whole process, which also we've simplified into a single benchmarking guide with screenshots of every single 
step in the process. So what was four different processes on that one, but, um, but both utilities, DWP and SoCal gas point to us point to the navigator DBS building safety points to the navigator. So um, they're aware they get that this is uh, saving them work. It's, you know, increasing the likelihood of projects actually happening. And so, um, because of COVID, uh, there's an ongoing state of emergency that's continued in the city. So the ordinance is not being enforced, but um, when it is, we'll be be pushing that out. Um, and we also, on the simplification point, who do I hire? You know, I'm supposed to get an energy audit and water audit and retro commissioning. What even is that? Um, so we've developed... How do I benchmark my building? So, so we run requests for qualifications and we take on the job of checking references, checking licensure, checking that these firms actually have a presence in LA. And then we create a directory so that when someone says, who do I hire, right? Here's a list and it's, and it's alphabetized. But um, so those, those firms that are listed in our directories become right. Spokespeople, um as well and so yeah we'll be pushing that out more um as things open up but you know for now it's online and it's there and for people that want to be proactive which we recommend that they do um because the you know tick tick tock um it's there and is this with under better buildings challenge or sustento group so I should probably explain that. So, yeah. so my firm, Sustento Group, so I started back in, in 2011, um, is hired by, we have a contract with the LA Department of Water and Power to run this program called the LA Better Buildings Challenge. And, and that started out as a leadership initiative for you know, what I like to call LA's best buildings. Um, so that's buildings that are already doing stuff you know they already are saving energy but we can invest technical assistance and other resources to help kind of spin a flywheel right um when the policy part came online and i was pretty you know heavily involved in getting that done um in front of and behind the scenes um the city needed help right they are not experts in energy star they're not experts in audits and retro commissioning. So even though they put out this policy, it's like they didn't really know what it was or how to help people, what they were really asking people to do. And so uh, because all of that was already part of our scope of work for better buildings, um, it was kind of logical to expand our scope to include this ordinance support. So um, that did stretch our resources, which also you know forced me to think hard about how do we provide a level of service how do we provide you know the support for this thing to be successful because you know i had been trying to do all of this work without the policy and it was just so hard um that this had this must work right and so that's where the navigator came from um was you know we have to leverage technology right we can't you know afford no one can afford it. and it's not efficient anyway to have a a call bank you know, where you're having one-on-one -on -one conversations with every single building and we've, we've done the math and it would be <laughs> quite expensive. So, um, so that is, uh, 
you know, how that kind of evolved and, and kind of forced me to think about how we could leverage technology to help this work and not kind of implode, you know, on, on arrival. I hope that other, like, I hope that other jurisdictions across California and the U S are listening because as a developer and I'm a regulatory specialist. So like I understand policy and regulations and the interconnectedness of all the things. And that's why I have a job. Um, But if we were to add technology onto our long range planning efforts, our general plans, our community plans, our zoning ordinances, our land use policies um, so that developers could have a clear pathway it would add a little more um, certainty to the development process, which is all investors really want. They just want, they want certainty. They want a commercial operation date that they can rely on and, and work backwards from that in terms of funding and all of that. And it, um, I'm inspired because having worked in zoning ordinances that are massive and trying to match up, okay, now what does the developer do now? What does the developer do? Who do they need to talk to? Like, it's exhausting. And that's why people complain about California. Building California is so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to applaud you because um, thank you. That is really helpful for environmental consultants, environmental professionals, public agency members, developers. Every aspect of development is supported when you can find a more streamlined way of implementing a regulation and it's one thing to make the regulation (laughs) which is a process in itself and then to implement it in a way where the public isn't like so exhausted they just give up um i just want to i want to highlight that and also we talked offline but you've got other projects in the pipeline that are that are really big and it's going to make a really big influential impact share share with us another example yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you you mentioned technology, so I'll take the opportunity to plug another uh, resource that we recently launched in our our last webinar. Um, talked about which is our technology directory. So, similarly to trying to figure out an ordinance, how do I comply with this ordinance? Uh, now that it's kind of in the zeitgeist, right? Like ESG is is a thing now. Um, there's pressure on to get to net, you know, how soon are we going to get to net zero? When can we make a commitment? Um, and then what are all the technologies that will actually help us do that? And it's a good thing, but there's this whole kind of um, inundation that happens with vendors and technology companies. Um, so people can just shut down and they don't know what's real on the technology side. And so we created this directory in partnership with the U.S. General Services Administration, um, the biggest landlord, you know, in the country. And they've got all the national labs behind them, um, leveraging a long running platform that they have called the Green Proving Ground, where they're using their purchasing power and all of their, uh, uh, you know, technical horsepower to test and vet and deploy and pilot different technologies in federal buildings. And then they publish their findings about how those go. Um, But because they're the federal government, they can't say who they used. They can say what they did, what the results were. But if, if I want to go then and copy that, they can't tell me uh, who to actually talk to. So 
I can say who to talk to. And so um, by partnering with them, we're able to kind of lift the, pierce the veil, if you will, um, and put those companies front and center when created little um, profiles with videos and case studies and things. Uh, we also worked with a large uh, venture capital fund, um, the, the biggest VC in the clean tech space called Fifth Wall. And they're also based in LA. Um, so they're investing into technology companies that are earlier stage than what, you know, would be ready to go into a GSA or, or other government facility. Um, but just another another area that needs simplification and a, a way of, of piggybacking and bringing together kind of best practice that others are doing in a way that's not a huge lift for us, but is useful for everyone. Um so that's another thing that that is live. Uh, before we got on, though, I was talking about you know it's an interesting time we're recording you know during COP twenty seven, and also you know all these rumblings about the Inflation Reduction Act, which you know doesn't sound like it has anything to do with energy, probably <laughs> intentional, you know, in the naming yeah. of it. But there's a lot of money in there um, for for climate and for state and local and tribal governments and and uh you know community lenders nonprofits to um bring more resources specifically to low income communities because they're the most impacted by climate change they're the most impacted by poor air quality they're living in the lowest quality you know most under maintained housing and i i grew up you know in apartments like that and so it's very personal um and so we are um, doing a couple of things in that area. One is uh, we are piloting um, a new approaches to develop holistic building retrofits, and that is rehab, so health and safety and habitability, plus decarbonization. And we've built a financial model that really looks at all of this because there's there's a lot of competing goals there. We want to decarbonize will also save money. Well, the fact is electricity costs more than gas right now. So if you even can electrify your building, in many cases, the bills to the tenants are not gonna go down. And some people may fight me on this and there's different studies, but in our experience, that's generally true. And when you, when you add the rehab needs, which is the first, priority you know maslovian right uh hierarchy survive <laughs> live first um, you know if you talk to an affordable housing developer their their mission is not to provide decarbonized housing their mission is to provide safe affordable housing so they're going to push back on on anything that results either in in more upfront cost or investment more regulatory stuff to deal with and especially if the result of that is going to be an increase in operating costs to to themselves and their their tenants so um we need to find ways to bring in new money and um the kind of the beautiful thing and it's being studied around the country and it's been studied pretty well in single family where you've got people that participate in surveys and and have the money to retrofit their houses but is this nexus between human health public health and decarbonization and and rehab um that has not been studied in low-income multifamily and so 
we are doing that. And I think that there's an opportunity to bring in health-focused capital that sees a, a return on investment in the health outcomes that result from this work. Um, we're also, as part of this, and I know this is a little bit complicated, but um, to make the math work to where you're getting the, the holistic project done that's producing these health outcomes and getting you know the rehab plus decarb, even with the incentives, uh, the math doesn't work. If the goal is to reduce bills or keep bills flat for tenants um, and not put some kind of undue unfair burden on the landlord. So there's a need for public subsidy. There's a need for public subsidy and, and we are quantifying that on a per project basis. And then we can extrapolate from that to what would the need be citywide. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other big you know, thing that's happening, I talked about the, you know, the IRA is, is there's money in there for this. And so um, we're working um, with partners to put together an application to go after some of that. And I have a pretty strong conviction that um, LA needs a, a green bank a nonprofit green bank that can blend capital from private philanthropic and public sources that has the front end expertise and relationships to develop and and underwrite uh, decarb projects and put that money to work. And so um, something we we started on a a while ago, paused as we were heading into this mayoral transition, but but now uh, the conversation is really being pushed because EPA has $27 billion to spend um, statutorily need to start moving that by February. Yeah. So this just kind of landed on my desk um, literally this week that uh, this this new timeline, but luckily, you know, we've already started and we have a, a, a lot of learnings that I think, you know, can be foundational to some pretty significant, you know, programmatic investments. I, we applaud you, Jessa and I are business owners and we're in the B Corp world. And what's coming to mind to me is yes, get the federal money. Yes. Work with partners and maybe consider that LA businesses should do like a 1% for the green fund where 1% of their top line revenue it's contributed to this green fund so that it's community finance from private businesses too, so that it's a collective effort and not just solely, you know, relying on one, one funding stream, however massive it might be. Um, I, f- we feel like getting businesses and con- that's how you get consumers to participate. They go and they buy something and a percentage of what they bought gets contributed to this green fund. And it's a way to like, have a little little bit of a circular economy, not in the truest sense, but a little bit of like a a closer uh, funding economy in LA. I think that that would be an interesting idea if you haven't already thought about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, yeah, I think that, that making things automatic, I think most people do, um, you know, want, want this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people do want better quality products. I think most people do want, you know, cleaner air, um, but they don't really know where to start. So I, I like the idea of of building it in. And I think that, you know, there are some precedents for, you know, crowdfunding and, and mm-hmm. you know, ways of people participating. Um, but I think that, you know, 
right now there's there's more cash out there than there are projects. I mean, that's just the situation. And when we talk about jobs and career pathways and all of that, I think we got that a little backwards on the last uh, big um, infusion of federal money. There's all this emphasis on jobs. And I'm, and I'm not saying that's not important, but we really need to figure out that that pipeline of jobs and that uh, pipeline of products for people to buy and support depends on a pipeline of projects. So, you know, I think it's it's getting the policy right getting the incentives right. So, you know, carrots and sticks and, and removing barriers so that the projects can happen. And then the rest, you know, we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, be in the, in the tailwind um, instead of um, the other way around, which I think was, was kind of unfortunate, but I think there were, you know, a lot of lessons in that. It's really, um, you know, when you pointed out about kind of some of the conflicting goals or the goals aren't necessarily aligned, like I am, very, I try to stay very on top of affordable housing and what's being done, um, you know, to create more, more housing in California. And, you know, then with the, the net zero goals and, you know, I'm thinking like what 2050, the net zero goal for California. Mm -hmm. And it, there's like no alignment. And so hearing you pointed out like that and say, well, these affordable housing developers, there's all these schools and cities and the state, they're putting all this money towards it, but there's no alignment with the big long-term goal and those shorter term goals that are solving a big immediate problem, which is also related to public health. And, you know, when you talk about like Maslow's hierarchy, basic needs. So it's a very challenging issue. I am so glad to hear that people like you who are incredibly intelligent and driven and motivated and can see all the pieces and are thinking about these like really big complex problems and how to put it together and come up with like a realistic, what I would consider sustainable and maybe regenerative solution beyond sustainability. Uh, it's very uh, motivating when I'm sitting here thinking sometimes like, oh, oh my goodness, like they're never going to fix this. And then you have all these ideas and you're talking about all these things being underway. And it's uh, very encouraging to hear. I'm glad. Well, thanks for joining us. I think this is a really good uh, point for our wrap up rapid five. Okay. Yes. All right, Dave. What is, what is your favorite daily habit? Ooh, my favorite daily habit. Um, you know, I, uh, I'll say it's daily. Um, but I like to do my, my morning planning for the day, uh, on my exercise bike. Oh, I <laughs> uh, that. cause I, I have two little kids and, um, you know, so before and after school, my, my time is with them. And, um, so, you know, I kind of work that in, in the morning and, uh, you know, get a little exercise and get my kind of day figured out, um, is a great little hack that I figured out. Nice. What are three things you would take to a deserted Island? Oof. Um, my guitar for sure. Um, a mask and fins, <laughs> uh, and, um, with some, some pencil paper. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite environmental policy? Favorite environmental policy. 
Um, hmm. I think, you know, my favorite environmental policy currently is probably, you know, New York's suite of policies. But, you know, if I go back in time, I, you know, I think uh, then Mayor Bloomberg was really smart in the way that he used New York's uh, ARA funds to establish the New York City Energy Efficiency Corporation, the New York City Green Bank. Um, and, you know, I'm really grateful to them because they've been awesome mentors to us as we go through this planning exercise um, to kind of do do for LA what they've done for New York. So uh, a little bit selfishly, but uh, because it's it's helping me out now. But I also think that it was really, really smart the way that he he looked at the real barriers, you know, reforming building code was another big part of that. Um, and thinking about, you know, the set of policies, including the financing that would ultimately, you know, be able to transform the market there, I think was, was brilliant. That's all. Hey, great to have a blueprint and find out what works and no need to totally reinvent the wheel. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> yeah. for sharing that. What is your favorite flora or fauna? Ooh, um, I have to say the elk. Um, I, I uh, recently I'm sitting in front of an LA background, but you know I lived in Colorado um, as I mentioned I think earlier, and uh, I I just love I just love watching elk. You know in their in their environment, they're just so huge and and majestic. Um, but my earliest memory, and I may I have to say a horse because my my first memory is. Uh, my dad used to have a horse and I was so little, I was riding on the the pommel, um, you know, my brother in the backpack. And so I just, the, the smells and the, um, they're just such, you know, wise, um, peaceful, beautiful animals. So I'm, I'm going to change it from elk to horses. <laughs> Laurel is also a, a horse person. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm an equestrian. I feel you. Oh, cool. I'm in. <laughs> A it's horse. I know it's equestrian. I meant like you like horses, but yes. <laughs> You're a centaur. Yeah. Half That's horse. why we're only in the top half on a Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and the last one, if you could finish this sentence or thought, wouldn't it be cool if? Wouldn't it be cool if? Um, wouldn't it be cool if if everybody felt empowered to be part of this if everybody felt that you know there's a future that's worth uh creating and and uh you know that's that's the work i think you know we we have the technology we have the money what we need is is the motivation and the belief you know in everybody from you know the consumer to the investor that uh that there's a way forward here and that they have a part Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad we got to meet you. This won't be the last time you hear from us, I'm sure. Cool. Well, <laughs> this was fun. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us to share the podcast with others who may enjoy learning about the environmental industry. If you want to submit a shout out or any feedback, please send an email or voice memo to podcast at califaep.org. The email again is podcast with an S, podcast at califaep.org.